Welcome to the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Now here's your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Today we're diving deep into a subject that's close to the heart of Newfoundland and Labrador, well-being. The province has announced that September 17th to the 23rd will be our first week of well-being here in the province. This initiative was created to shine a light on the fundamental idea that well-being is influenced not only by our healthcare system, but our social determinants of health, like housing, education, and food security. We've seen our healthcare spending increase by 232% since 1981, while our social spending has barely budged. As a result, the province finds itself at a crossroads and a recognition that we need to address the significant well-being challenges we have in our province. To learn more about how the government, communities, private sector, and us as individuals can focus on well-being, we're going to hear from Premier Andrew Fury on his vision for a healthier province, Dr. Pat Parfrey, Deputy Minister of Health Transformation on the findings of the Health Accord and how these can be put into action, Josh Smee from Food First NL, whose organization is tackling food security head-on, and last but certainly not least, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, the Chief Medical Officer of Newfoundland and Labrador. Let's explore how government, community organizations, and individuals can work together to improve the quality of life for us here in the province. So let's start off our show by hearing from Premier Andrew Fury about what his vision for well-being is in the province. Hi, Premier Fury. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Fantastic. You had a big announcement, and we want to talk about that right now. We are looking at the week of well-being, which is coming up the week of September 17th. Can you tell me a bit about that? Uh, sure. So as we know, Newfoundland and Labrador has struggled with health outcomes for generations, really. And part of the part of the fundamental reason why we haven't been able to change some of those metrics is that we've never really concentrated on the social determinants of health. Uh, so wellness and health are the same. But when we talk about health, we tend to think of physical health. But as we know now, there's more to your health and wellness than your physical health, than your blood pressure or your heart rate. They're important, but so is your economic circumstances. So is your education. So is your access to safe and affordable housing. So is a litany of other things that we call the social determinants of health. So this is an attempt to help change people's thought process on how we approach our health. And we think it's a good idea. We think making those investments in the social determinants of health will pay dividends long-term. You may not see that for 30 years, but my hope and belief is if we have the courage to make those investments today, then whoever's sitting in this premier's chair in 30 years from now, because I can assure you it won't be me, <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll see the, the fruits of our labor. So when people are learning about well-being and uh, the week of well-being that's coming up, how do you hope people engage with it to learn more? Sure. So we've got a website and uh, we've engaged multiple stakeholders across multiple different disciplines to help people change the way they think, uh, to start the discussion. You can't enact change unless people are, are thinking and, and discussing about what it is that we're trying to change, why we're trying to change, and having a, a, a week of wellness is, is a good instrument to start the conversation and to begin the, the path of change and a paradigm shift in how we approach healthcare. Right. Well, we have people that are listening from all over Newfoundland and Labrador. What would be your message to them about well-being? Well, for too long, governments have only invested in the infrastructure of health, if you will, or the human resources of, of health. And it's really easy 
for a politician to cut a ribbon on a clinic or a hospital. It's harder, though, and perhaps more important these days uh, to make these investments in your health and your wellness. So moving beyond health into your wellness, your psychological well-being, your economic status, your security and safe, stable communities, all of these things contribute to how well you feel as a Newfoundlander and Labradorian. Um, so we would like you to start thinking about what drives those health outcomes in the hospitals that, that we end up in or the clinics that we end up in. And that could be working across stakeholders like government does to help tackle poverty. It could be working with stakeholders and communities and municipal leaders to tackle things like access to housing. Or it could be working with the education system to ensuring that our youth have access to safe and inclusive schools that have access to food programs and the educational opportunities that will drive the future and determine their economic circumstances. So we're asking people to, to have an open mind, to, to begin the conversation and to start to change the way that we we think of, of health. I'd like to think of it as a vital sign. Uh, it's not just your your heart rate, your blood pressure, and your temperature. When we're looking at the system in general, we need to be looking at where you came from and why you're on the path you're on and how we can make investments to change it if necessary. That's fantastic. Well, I really appreciate your time today. And also, thank you for prioritizing well-being in the province, something obviously I feel passionate about, and it's nice to see you guys putting your efforts behind it. Thanks for joining me yep. today. Thanks, Mike. And we're continuing to make big investments. It's the biggest investment that this province has ever seen in healthcare. And we know that we have to keep up with respect to the social determinants of health as well. That was Newfoundland and Labrador Premier Andrew Fury talking about the week of well-being. Now let's get to a conversation with Dr. Parfrey, who's the Deputy Minister of Health Transformation in the province. He helped lead the Health Accord NL, which dove deep into the social determinants of health and why they need our attention if we want to improve the well-being of our province. Hi, Dr. Parfrey. Welcome back to the show. Good to be with you, Mike. Well, this week we're talking about the week of well-being, and I think the concept of well-being is sometimes um, challenging people to really grasp what it is. Maybe we could start off with you telling us what your definition of well-being is. Well, it's, it's, well-being is, is not only your physical health. It also includes your mental health and your social health and your financial health, health and your environmental health. And it's, it's also more than health care. It's interventions that affect the social factors that influence your health. And it's more than just the government of Newfoundland's policy. It's all of our policies, how families live, how communities live, how municipalities and small G governments exert their policy with a health agenda. Mm. The last number of years, you've been working on the Health Accord, and the Health Accord really helped drive this motivation to improve the well-being of our province. Can you give people a bit of an overview on the Health Accord, what the process was, and some of the major findings? So we, we were asked by the Premier uh, and the Minister of Health to create a task force with the objective of improving health in the province with over a 10-year horizon. And our basic conclusion was that to do that, you had to raise awareness and intervene in the social determinants of health and you had to rebalance the acute care system, the long-term care system, and the community system. And we had two objectives in mind. We knew that health outcomes were, more, were far more related to the social factors associated with our lives than they were to the healthcare system, and that we needed to have a what's called an upstream approach. You needed to um, uh, intervene in the social factors that influence health and live healthier lives. 
And that way we would improve health outcomes far more than we would by spending more money on the healthcare system, which is dealing with the outcomes of those things that have happened to us. I think that one of the things that was really unique about the, the health court at L is that it wasn't just doing research on what needed to happen. There was a lot of public consultation. Can you explain some of the things that you did to engage our communities to see where the real issues lie? Well, we engaged on several occasions, five or six occasions, and at each level of understanding, I suppose, we engaged with communities. We had um, town halls over, it was during COVID, so it was, these were all virtual, but they were well attended, and we had town halls in every region, and we communicated with people in the healthcare system. We communicated with people who were affected by the healthcare system. We communicated with various groups that are now termed equity seeking. We had a, a very extensive engagement process, but we did start out with a body of evidence that demonstrated that our health outcomes were, and by these I mean life expectancy and deaths from cancer and cardiovascular disease and stroke, were the worst in the country. And we felt that cause of this uh, was much more related to the social determinants of health than they were to our healthcare system. That's interesting. So let's put your physician hat on for a second, and maybe we can explain how would something like the social determinants of health increase somebody's risk of getting cancer if they didn't have the same amount of income or opportunities in life? Well, at a very basic level, poverty is not only bad to you because you've got no money, but it's also bad to you because you're not able to afford to live healthily. You make decisions around food that you're forced to make rather than that are based on improving your health. You live in environments that are unhealthy. You engage in activities that are risky um, and don't take risk reduction. And your education about what's uh, the healthiest way of living and making those choices personally is limited. So these are part of the responsibility. My, my gut feeling is that some of them have additional effects in, on our health outcomes, like the loneliness, that we don't really understand properly. Right. And, and another thing that really stands out to me is um, inclusion, being brought into your community. How does that play a role in our well-being? Well, there's little doubt that groups of people that are excluded are excluded from everything. They're excluded from healthcare. They're excluded from healthy involvement in the community. They're excluded from an appropriate social life. And uh, when you look at the evidence concerning our health outcomes and our sense of well-being and those types of metrics, uh, you're getting information from the majority of the population who are doing pretty good. And it's the minority of the population that are excluded, and they're not doing pretty good. And that it's hard to get the data on them. So the uh, indigenous peoples, um, a BIPOC, I suppose, which includes indigenous immigrants, LGBTQ communities, disabilities, these excluded people have worse health outcomes than the rest of the population. So it is as the social determinant of health being excluded. Today we're talking about the Week of Wellbeing, which is going to be held from September 17th to the 23rd, and why well-being matters here at home. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Parfrey, Deputy Minister of Health Transformation. We'll be right back after the break. 
Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. We're talking about the Week of Wellbeing, which is being held September 17th to the 23rd, and why well-being matters here at home. Let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Parfrey, Deputy Minister of Health Transformation. And when you talk about shifting things like healthcare, but then also we talk about changing demographics in our population, and that could be who's immigrating to our province, but also how people are changing within our province. Why is it important for us to address well-being at this stage? Um, well, obviously, we're, we're getting older, uh, this population is. So that has a major effect on the, the healthcare resources that are necessary to deal with the adverse outcomes that occur as we're getting older. That's very difficult to control because people have already lived their lives. So really, the place where you have to try and prevent these diseases that are definitely linked to social factors such as heart disease and stroke and cancer, etc. You need to be able to intervene at a much earlier stage, and particularly intervene in children, youth, uh, people in their workplaces, um, so that they learn not only have a personal responsibility for making healthy choices, but we as a society have an obligation to ensure that the social factors that influence us are ameliorated. And the biggest one is childhood poverty because they're exposed to adverse circumstances when they're young over which they have absolutely no control and live with that adversity for the rest of their lives. So it is unjust and it's the one area where there's really strong evidence that prevention of childhood poverty has very beneficial effects. So if well-being starts to come to the forefront of our conversation in our community, what do you hope comes of this awareness and this consciousness that we have to start taking care of our well-being and taking care of those that may not have the same opportunities? Well, I think that it's society's opportunity. We think that the government of Newfoundland and Labrador can do everything. They can't, but they can do certain things. They, they certainly have influence on uh, poverty, particularly childhood poverty, homelessness, food insecurity, dealing with climate emergency, childhood development, health promotion, inclusion, those types of things, there are areas where policy can be developed and implemented that can change those social determinants. But on top of that, the areas in which we live, in which municipalities have control, are in smaller communities where the communities themselves are very relevant, and we even within families, that there there is influence on the social factors that influence our health, where we live, what we eat, the water we drink, the money we've got, social circumstances in which we live, the capacity to belong to a community, dealing with loneliness, those types of things. Uh, we're all responsible for that. That's right. Well, and the week of well-being is is now approaching, and the question would be, how can people participate on a way that helps improve their well-being or create some form of awareness of how they can make changes going forward? So I think that you hit the nail in the head there, because really this is the first time that we're doing this, and we have a relatively limited objective, which is to increase awareness of the importance of the social determinants of health. Because nearly everybody understands that they have a personal responsibility to try and live healthily. But that people don't understand that we also have a 
societal obligation to help people who are disadvantaged and marginalized, etc., and they're exposed to the worst health outcomes. So that's the first piece of awareness. And as I said at the beginning, it is the idea that it is more than physically well-being. It's more than healthcare. It's more than the government of Newfoundland and Labrador. So if those messages are um, accepted by the population, then they'd expect the small G government system to respond and they'd expect their elected representatives to respond in a way that deals with these adverse social circumstances that exist. So that awareness is the first thing, but then it's got to be allied to policy that is aimed at improving the social determinants of health. And then that policy needs to be implemented in budgets because uh, what you spend your money on is what you believe in. So we're trying to raise that awareness to start with. But at the same time, we're doing that through public events that are associated with not only with physical health, but also with mental health and social health and our culture and celebrating our culture. But then they're also going to be associated with government announcements on policy directions that they're going to take to try and improve the well-being of the province. Okay, so we're looking at a long-term strategy here. What do you hope we accomplish as a province if we start to improve our well-being? Well, one of the interesting things is is that as a province, we've got a lot to celebrate. Uh, we have the highest rates of life satisfaction, the highest rates of well-being in the country, the highest rates of a sense of belonging, of living in a secure community, uh, and, and accepting the advice that institutions give us. So we've got a really strong society that we should celebrate, and a culture that we should celebrate. But at the same time, we need to be more aware of how we live and what influences how we live, live healthy, I mean, does have adverse consequences for life expectancy and cardiac and stroke and vascular disease and, and cancer. Um, and getting a change in that culture that predisposes that should be feasible. And the reason that I kind of think it, I'm kind of optimistic about it is, if you think of food that we've got here, fish and berries and root vegetables and books, and the chicken we raise here, etc. So we have the basis of healthy, nutritious food that's not that expensive. And on top of that, we've got these wide open spaces and these trails in the sea, etc. that also should help with a, a more active lifestyle. So it's it's those kind of, I, I, I'm almost saying subliminal messages we want to try and get across in so far as celebrate who we are and what we are but at the same time be a bit realistic about the things that are we're not so good at and that we can actually change. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, literally, that is something that every time I leave this place and I come back home, I realize how lucky we are to live here. I even started garden this summer, so I, I can sympathize with this stuff, but I really appreciate you taking the time and all the work you're doing and helping spread awareness to improve that understanding of well-being. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Mike. Thanks as ever for having us on. Thank you. We're talking about the Week of Wellbeing, which is being held September 17th to the 23rd, and why well-being matters here at home. When we come back, we'll talk with Josh Smee of Food First NL, whose organization is tackling the challenge of food insecurity head-on. We'll be right back after the break. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. 
Welcome back. We're talking about the Week of Wellbeing, which is being held September 17th to the 23rd, and why well-being matters here at home. Let's get to our conversation with Josh Smee of Food First NL. Josh, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're talking about something this week that is new to our province. It's called the Week of Wellbeing. And when I think about this, I don't think about a week where people are going to get active and get fit and solve all of our health problems. I think it's a bigger picture than that. How, how do you see this? Is this like the start of something bigger? Yeah, I hope it is. When we think about what's happening in Newfoundland Labrador right now, you know, there's a lot of conversation about well-being as we're building up this well-being plan and about what came out of the health accord. And I think like well-being is not a bad lens to look at what needs to change in this province, right? Uh, like when you think about what does it take for people to have equal access to a good life, right? That's basically what well-being is. That's how I think about it. Is like is being able to live a good life, a, a life that's fulfilling and and has the things in it that we that we want. And I think focusing some attention on well-being is not a bad thing. And I'm kind of hopeful it provokes a good public conversation about what it looks like if we're going to get serious about centering well-being from like a policy perspective, right? That's right. And I think that those policies and things that will change in the community directly impact the people that you service. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your organization and what you do? Yeah, sure. So Food First NL, we've been around almost 25 years now, uh, and our mandate is to advance the right to food in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, And that's obviously a pretty wide-ranging one. Within that, we do a few things. We do advocacy work. We do a lot of network building and connection work between folks working on food-related issues and programs. We operate some on the ground programs ourselves. And we do work to center the voices of folks with a lived experience of food insecurity in in the conversation. So most of what we do lands in one or more of those four buckets. Mm. Let's set a context for everybody as well. What's the percentage of people that are food insecure in this province? It's unfortunately high. It's just under one in five Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are food insecure. And we have the highest rate of food insecurity for families with children of any province in the country. So it's a it's a real issue. And we know that it's a growing one, uh, particularly driven by what we're seeing in terms of the, the changes in the cost of food over the last few years. So those numbers have yet to be fully reflected in those percentages, but we know those rates are going to rise. Definitely. I mean, our food costs are so high in this province. And I think that that's one of the things that people need to learn is that a new definition of what well-being is. I think the perspective on well-being, especially me coming from my wellness background, is that it's about fitness and health and nutrition, things like that, which are all part of it. But really, what does well-being mean to an organization like you? Yeah, so I think the what you just talked about, uh, it's it plays a role. And the way I tend to think about it, to use an analogy, is if you're talking about you know building a house, right? The, the wellness part, the fitness, the nutrition, the lifestyle things, those are maybe the walls of the house or the art that's hanging on the walls. But the foundation of the house is like the material conditions that you're in or your family is in. So do you have enough money to afford the basic needs that are going to put you in a position to live a life of well-being, you know? Uh, and, and that's, I think, the when we talk about well-being, that's what we're talking about. It's sort of having the infrastructure in the community and ties around you to live a fulfilling life and having the resources behind you to access those things, right? And and it's I think sometimes the conversation becomes just about one without the other, and then it's a little bit meaningless, right? Like it's all well and good to have lots of opportunities to go out and socialize, but if you're working five jobs to to keep food on the table for your family, those opportunities are pretty meaningless. And so I think you have to think about it holistically like that. 
Mm-hmm. And the social determinants of health is such an important thing that I think people are starting to learn more and more about. And I think it's an important topic for us to all educate ourselves on. When it comes to what your organization does, tell me a little bit about how you actually help improve the well-being of people in our community. Yeah, I think there's a few ways that we try and go about that. We try and get at this from a few different angles. At the ground level, we operate programs where we see a need or where often where we see kind of a gap in in services that 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 we can maybe explore a way to fill and then hopefully others pick it up so that we, you know our organization is doing everything so an example of that would be in St. John's area we operate food on the move it's a mobile affordable food market so the gap here is that folks particularly folks living with low income often don't have a lot of options accessible to them to access affordable food right and and people are spending a ton of money on taxis to grocery stores which cuts into their food budget and so how do we solve for that uh, you know in this case we're bringing affordable food to people's doorsteps and that's like kind of a program level solution um so i think that those kind of programs level solutions have a place and they're showing how simple it can be sometimes to really make a difference. But then from our perspective, at least that has to be accompanied by also advocacy for the system level solutions, right? So the other piece for us is advocating for the big changes that would reduce the need for these kind of interventions in the first place, right? So at the top of this all has to be uh, access to to money for people and, and particularly for folks on the lowest end of the income spectrum. So folks who are working low-wage jobs, folks who are not in the labor force and, and maybe relying on something like income support, we're not going to really shift those big indicators on food insecurity without changing the material conditions there. And that's a government thing. And so I think it's important to be able to show what's possible on the ground and show how people can flourish and, and, and how much desire there is to access these things and also push on the other side for things that are beyond the capacity of community organizations to solve, right? And that does come down mostly to income. But also to other things, transportation plays a huge role in this, right? You know, like when we talk about the things that are affecting your access to food, the budget you have to buy the food matters, but how do you get to it or how does it get to you? And sometimes that's exchanging with your food budget, right? So if you have to give up $60 out of your week's grocery bill to go and buy those groceries, that really affects your access to healthy food. And so the the transportation conversation is really connected there. And that's another place that, you know, governments have a really big role to play. Yeah, I think about this. I'm thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs oh. here. You know, like, I mean, if you don't have the basic parts of life satisfied, how can yeah. you actually have health? So just to, you know, paint a bigger picture here, if people are food insecure, we know one in five or, or just under one in five are food insecure in the province and even more so with children. How does that impact our health as a community as well? Yeah, we know that those have pretty catastrophic long-term health consequences, right? Across a range of physical and mental health indicators, there's good research to show how tightly associated food insecurity is with with health consequences like that, right? So it's it's one of these many things that are kind of penny-wise and pound-foolish, right? You know, folks are going hungry and that is imposing a cost that taxpayers, to be honest with you, are still paying. We're just paying, paying for it through the healthcare system, right? That people are being hit by unnecessary uh, health outcomes uh, that are flowing directly from the fact that they can't access food, right? Uh, and that's that's the reality of it. And it's across the board, you know, there's more and more research every year to show just how deeply impactful food insecurity can be, particularly for young people, unfortunately, right? So like kids growing up in food insecure households, that has a real impact on them in a lifelong sense, right? And that's that's the, the unfortunate reality of it. 
Well, you just said, I mean, that's the foundation. I mean, these are the years yeah. you're growing, you're building your body that it's going to support you for the rest of your life. Like I know my joints aren't good right now, but they were a lot better when I was younger and you wouldn't want to start off behind the eight ball there. So I, that makes tons of sense to me. Now, if you were to leave us with a little message or uh, thoughts for people to ponder, what should they be thinking about when they start to reflect on how we can improve the well-being of our province? So I think, and then this is maybe a thought to take into it, the well-being week is as you look at what's going on during well-being week, there's there's a lot that's going to be happening, kind of community events and things. Think about like, what would it take to make all these nice things accessible to everyone in this province? What would it take to make those things meaningful for people? And and who do you need to talk to to help make that happen, right? So I think there there is a real space for people to think about, okay, if well-being sounds like something you'd like to see happen in this province, how does that inform your decisions as a voter? How does that inform your decisions as a citizen, right? Because when it comes down to it, a well-being policy is a well-being budget, and that means political decisions that that folks are going to have to put pressure on their officials for and, and have to show people that there is a path forward. And so people have a big role to play in saying, you know, yes, well-being sounds great. Well-being does sound like a foundation for where we want to go. And we want to see those decisions made to make it happen and to build that foundation of access and of income underneath people. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate you sharing your expertise. I know that sometimes you can have a perspective that a lot of us may not have. So I'm really glad you could share that with us. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Anytime. We're talking about the Week of Well-Being, which will be held September 17th to the 23rd and why it matters here at home. When we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, the Chief Medical Officer for Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be right back after the break. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, Chief Medical Officer of Newfoundland and Labrador about the week of well-being. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Dr. Fitzgerald. Welcome back to the show. Hi, glad to be back. We're talking about something that's really positive this time. We are talking about the week of well-being. And obviously, with your role as the Chief Medical Officer of the province, it's important to get your perspective on these things. We're hearing a lot about the social determinants of health and things like housing and food and education and how they impact our well-being, even more so sometimes than the healthcare system. When it comes to educating our, our population with this, what role do people like yourselves and our medical professionals play in changing that perspective on what health really means? Oh, that's a great question. And, you know, in public health, certainly we consider this to be really one of our most important roles. And medical officers of health, which are the physicians, generally the physicians who work in public health, our job is really to look for uh, where we see disparities in people's health or in well-being and then to try to find out why those disparities exist and then to try to find ways that we can address those disparities, not just through public health, but sometimes in society more generally. And so I think our role is quite well-defined as how we bring that information forward. So we do that through population health assessments and other evaluations. Uh, so I think it's really important for us in public health to make sure that we are relating those messages and those findings onto people who can make a difference when it comes to well-being outcomes. So that may be engaging with uh, municipal governments, it may be engaging with provincial governments, federal governments, it could 
could also be engaging with community groups and other organizations. So there's lots of ways that we can bring that information out to the public. And I think it's really important. But our role is also in educating and having people understand just how those determinants can influence people's health. And sometimes that's really hard to see. So so breaking that information down to have people realize that the reasons why certain things happen are, are because of uh, things that are much further back in the stream, so to speak, what we call upstream, so that all of those things, like you said, housing, income, education, they can influence long-term outcomes in well-being and, and a person's ability to really make healthy choices or to live as, as productive and healthy a life as they want. That's right. Well, I mean, part of that role is to educate people, which is why I'm so grateful you're here today to be able to share that. I think one of the things that people may struggle with, because our understanding of of well-being tends to come from really sort of like the the private sector marketing, wellness, service, things like that, but it's not really that. Could you explain how something like housing or education could actually impact our health as individuals? Uh, so... You know, if we think about housing, for example, we know that the environment that someone lives in can directly influence their health. So if you live in a place that has mold, for example, if you're living in housing that doesn't create a healthy environment, then that could certainly have a direct impact on your health, especially if you have asthma or something along those lines. So that's one thing. And certainly we know that if you take that one step further back, for the most part, houses where you may have those types of problems, they generally tend to be houses that are not as well kept up and they may be lower rents. And and so people who have lower socioeconomic situations may be the people who are living in those houses. And so we see a disparity there then. So people who live in these types of houses will have poorer health outcomes as opposed to people who don't. So if we look at those things, income being another one, you know, it's been shown that people who have lower incomes have a disproportionate impact with regard to some of the things that can affect health negatively. So certainly we see that these types of things can impact health because it impacts just so much of what you do. If you're struggling to make ends meet from a monetary point of view, if you have to work extra, if you have to work more than one job, um, it's very difficult to think about all those other things that we think about with regard to well-being when you don't have to worry about making ends meet. If all your energy is going into ensuring that you have enough to get from one week to the next then you don't necessarily have the capacity really to think about some of the other things. So it's really important to to realize, I think, that the things that influence health the most are actually not healthcare at all. So we really have to rethink how we imagine health and what health is. And really health itself or well-being is really a resource for us to be able to navigate this world in a good way. So it, ensuring that all of those things that influence health are the best that they can be for someone is really going to have the biggest impact. So that's why we have such a focus on social determinants. That makes sense. I mean, you look at the most vulnerable populations and these people can be most susceptible to so many different things in our community that aren't advantageous. And now poor health being directly linked to that is a challenge. And I think that people define health differently. When I went around the world recently, I asked every person I met what health was and the definition is very different. And it's about being able to have a good quality of life. And I think that's that's really critical for people. 
when I look at when you first came on our show and we first started chatting, you, you were helping promote all the different tools and, and education around the pandemic, which we did such a good job at in the province. We did so good at adhering to that is something we can be really proud of as a population. Do you think that that compliance or that eagerness for people to jump on board when it comes to things that are really important when it comes to health, do you think that's to our benefit when it comes to promoting well-being in the province? Uh, I guess it's a little bit different because, you know, the pandemic was it was a big thing that that affected all of us, affected some much more than others. Um, but I think we certainly all realized the importance of coming together to rise against this one thing that was presenting itself to us that was new and different and a little bit scary. And um, a lot of the issues that we talk about when we talk about social determinants of health have been here forever and they've been affecting us forever. And and Certainly, we've known about their influence on health for for a long time now, but uh, I don't know that we've really come to appreciate that. And so I think it is going to take a lot of education and a lot of information to be out there to the public for people to realize the importance of dealing with social determinants of health and improving social determinants of health so that we can remove disparities, that we can remove barriers to people being able to achieve a quality of life that they wish to achieve. And there are lots of barriers there that are out of people's control. But I think as a province, I think we all sort of agree that people have the right to have the best quality of life that they can. And and I think that's that's a basic thing. And and so hopefully we'll be able to get behind that sentiment and have people realize and recognize, I guess, really, that the reason we are addressing some of these issues is to improve overall outcomes in the end. And it's hard sometimes because making impacts on, say, early years development and improving environments for young children, we may not see the effects of that for quite a long time down the road. So it's hard to see that the resources that you're investing are actually paying off. And so I think there there is a certain amount of education that has to come around that as well to say that while these are good investments to make, we may not reap the benefits for for quite a while. And it's very difficult. It makes it difficult for decision makers to to make some of those decisions, I think, because because they uh, they are aware of needing to show results. Of course, yeah, and I think that's important. That's what people start to get the word out there that these are important issues. Social determinants of health need to be focused on, and it's going to require government and private sector and communities themselves to all put a, an effort into it. So that's why it's I think it's important to get the word out about it. When we look at Newfoundland and Labrador too, uh, I know that some of these issues with social determinants of health are kind of universal to all populations, but we do have a unique population when it comes to having older citizens than most of the other provinces in the country. How do those demographics change the way we look at well-being and make it potentially even more important? Yeah, healthy aging and being healthy as we age are big parts of well-being. We know that as we get older, in general, our use of the healthcare system increases. And while that's not the only reason to be addressing the social determinants of health, ensuring that our population is healthy as it ages is certainly one way to help reduce that impact. But truly the reason that we want to address social determinants of health is really about equity, right? It's about everybody getting what they need to be able to live the best 
life that they can and about removing barriers that prevent people from being able to access services or to get the education that they want to be able to live in housing that they need to live in. It's really about looking at that so that the barriers are removed so that people can make decisions that positively influence their health. So if we think about that in terms of aging, we can see that effect even more. So we definitely need to focus on ensuring that we have communities that support healthy aging so that people are able to continue to be active and walk about their communities as they get older. So sidewalks are are safe. They're not damaged and they're not a, a fall risk. Um, it's important for us to ensure that there are supports in place in our communities for people as they get older so that they can maintain levels of functioning and that and those sorts of things. And we really look at ways that we can create those age-friendly communities. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, I really appreciate this. You know, coming up to the week of well-being now, any last words you'd like to leave our listeners with before we close up? Yeah, I think the reason that we look at these social determinants of health and and we're looking at well-being is really equity. It's about us ensuring that everybody has the opportunity and is in the environment where they can have their needs met and are able to make choices that can positively affect their health. And so that's really the reason that we try to, to tackle this. And I think one of the benefits of that is that we will see improved health outcomes in the long run. But I think the underlying message has to be that uh, this is just, it's the right thing to do. And so I'd like for people to embrace that thought and to, to embrace that uh, perspective and support their leaders or communities, any organizations that they're a part of to be able to address some of those social determinants. Sometimes the people that aren't affected by it are the people that can advocate the strongest. So that's good to hear. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you for joining me again. And I always appreciate having your insights. We'll chat with you soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you to my guests for joining me today. I hope you learned more about what well-being is and the need for improving our well-being here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Remember, it's not just about healthcare, it's a variety of factors that can include our social, economic, environmental, and educational opportunities. By understanding what well-being truly encompasses, we can better advocate for change and improve our well-being for future generations. Now, if you want to learn more about the Week of Well-Being, you can visit www.wellbeingnl.ca. Well, thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your... VOCM.